Welcome back. We have had three podcasts so far, and we're picking up in our fourth deep dive of Mark chapter 5, verse 21, through to the end of chapter 6. Jesus, is, Jesus has just stilled the storm. He has cast a legion of demons into some pigs who have then drowned, come back across the Sea of Galilee for the third of his mighty deeds. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived and live. So Jesus went with him. What a scene. You might remember that Jesus has been completely rejected in the synagogue. It started when he preached there and cast an impure spirit out of a man there. From there, the whole region of Galilee hears about him. So much so that the teachers of the law from Jerusalem are sent down in a posse to investigate. This is particularly in response to him and his teaching about the Sabbath where he healed a man, redefined what the Sabbath was for in opposition to what they'd made it, and they've started to plot to kill him. It's a lethal threat against his life the very definition of lethal really (laughs) Jairus is one of the synagogue rulers it goes to show how your objections all just get a bit smaller when someone you love is suffering we see this don't we someone has all these well thought out reasons and objections to faith but then something happens and, and and they might go away they might not go away but all of a sudden their need for faith trumps their objections to it We don't need to get too amped up about someone who is already holding firmly to their conclusion. We just need to be there when the conclusion gets rattled by their life events. So Jairus' daughter's threat of death is real. This is at a point of history where 60% of people died in their teens. Jairus gets named. And as you can see with the other accounts, that's not normally the case. Even Peter's mother-in-law doesn't get a name. But we're given an eyewitness and and as these accounts begin to roll out, they would have come across people who knew Jairus, who would have asked him, is this right, Jairus? Did this really happen? And he would be able to say, yeah, look, come and see my little girl who is now married and has children or or whatever she was. Jairus' name means may Yahweh awaken. And modern scholars tend to say all sorts of things like, well, that's clearly not his real name. It's superimposed in hindsight onto the story. But maybe that's the whole reason he is named because it's this beautiful coincidence. And, and like Mark's like, hey, don't you think this is recording? Mark, as he's getting these things down, is like, oh, I have to include that. That was such a cool part of the story. Anyway, our beautiful Jesus hasn't said, well, I know the death threats that are being spoken about in the corridors of power between the synagogue and the Herodians. So do something about that and then I'll do something about your daughter. No, he goes with him. Let's continue the account. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately. I feel like saying somebody say immediately, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman's miracle is sandwiched in the middle of the little girl's miracle. Sorry, spoiler alert there. The little girl's going to get a miracle. (laughs) Torah said that a woman was unclean during her period. 
she had to offer at the temple once it was over. You can flick through Leviticus and find it under the laws about discharges section. That's disgusting. It's not really an enjoyable read. I think it's between the laws about mildew and laws about rashes sections. Unclean. Not because it's dirty, impure or sinful. So let's just get that straight. There have been people that have maligned the word of God to make women second class citizens using those scriptures. So what is the go? It's been suggested that the period flow of blood testifies to us of being able to produce little humans, little images of God, that are born in the image of God. We can create our own small images even as we have been created. And, and to not bring that into the presence of God is to acknowledge the final life authority is not ours to be puffed up about, but it's his. There could be. I honestly don't know. And to me, that doesn't seem to follow very obviously, but, but that's just me. But regardless, this woman's bleeding didn't stop. You can imagine this would make her weak. In those days, she would possibly be smelly. It would just be difficult all round. <clears throat> so she has to break the social constructs to get to Jesus. She's ceremonially unclean. And even apart from that, women should not be approaching men outside their family. But that's right, because in order to function under the new wine that Jesus is bringing, it necessitates stepping out of the old wineskin. I love this. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That is what Jesus is all about, restoring the image of God in us, reconciling us to him. And that's what this next part is about, verse 30. <clears throat> At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you. His disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus had somewhere to get to. So why did he pause in this moment? One reason is that God is always about relationship. You see it in the counts of healing. There is a moment, there is an interaction between Jesus and the sick person. It's not a wave where Jesus is running along a platform and everyone falls down under his power. It's relationally connecting with people, loving them, touching them, speaking to them, looking into their faces. And that's what he does with this woman. She falls at his feet, which is the right posture for the Lord Almighty in this fear and trembling, which is an appropriate response also for the awe, but also because she's broken protocol by touching him. She has made him unclean according to the law. But rather than Jesus becoming unclean, he absorbs it and makes her clean. She exchanges. But because of who Jesus is, it's not the unclean that is contagious, it's restoration. Duh. And in order to tell him all this, she has to trust him. And it's the same trust that compelled her to reach out and touch him in the first place. And Jesus says, you are healed. Go in peace and be free. Not just from her physical suffering, which has already been dealt with, but he's extending that total salvation to her as he says, go. Yeah, beautiful. Calls a daughter, someone who has had no one to advocate for her. He calls her daughter. 
And then we head back to Jairus, who, as mentioned, has also crossed the social construct line in coming to Jesus and whose little daughter has lived as long as this woman has suffered. It's beautiful. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people called from the some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine Jairus during the interaction with the bleeding woman? Not only would he have been concerned about ritual impurity, he would have been crazy impatient. Maybe even like, she's been bleeding for 12 years already. Let her bleed another half day and come back to her. Or maybe forget the interaction. You've healed her. Great. Can we please get to my daughter? Or maybe having already moved past all social regulations to humble himself and come to Jesus, he was completely trusting him. Either way, when this news came, his heart surely would have broken. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. This is the start of the inner circle. It will be these three at the transfiguration, these three in the garden as well. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. First thing to note is that she was dead enough that they laughed at his suggestion she might be sleeping. I've heard it said that he just saw the situation more clearly that in fact he knew she wasn't truly dead. I disagree. If there's any doubt, there's no laughter. However, in another fashion, he who creates life does not see death as the the end and one day we'll all sleep. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. John 11, 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. <laughs> asleep, yes, for three days, decomposing. But I'm going there to wake him, Jesus said. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. For the Creator... The little girl being as dead as dead is still asleep. He speaks correctly. He tells her to get up and she does. She begins to walk around. Everyone is again astonished. They aren't used to this incredible authority and he gets them to give her something to eat. Ghosts don't eat. In Luke chapter 24 verse 41 to 43, Jesus has been resurrected and it says, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. This little girl, she is living, breathing, a little girl who has been made well. And again, with the strict orders to not tell anyone because he has a job to do. And this is the kind of thing that people will put you on a throne for. That's not his interest. But he is God among them. He can tell the sea what to do. He contains life in himself and he can impart it to a woman who has not stopped bleeding for 12 years and to a 12-year-old girl who is dead but now lives. So, so these deeds, and, and as we head into some more deeds, could they be parables as well? Could they be pointing to something else as well? We just saw him tell the sea what to do and then send the legion into the sea. Just like the Exodus where the children of Israel walked through on dry land, but then the Egyptian army was swallowed up. Now, let's look at Isaiah 
Isaiah is a book where these parallels are seen constantly in the book of Mark and Mark even opens up with that. Isaiah 63 verse 11, then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Then, obviously, after 63, Isaiah 63 comes Isaiah 64. Verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, come down and do great and awesome things amongst us. We get to verse 6, which says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, that's menstrual cloths, and we shrivel up like a leaf, and, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. This woman in her filthy rags, could she have been a parable as well? No doubt that it happened. But could she also be speaking of something else? This woman, could she represent Jerusalem with the same bleeding problem? Jesus calls her daughter as Yahweh calls Jerusalem his daughter in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 8. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in the vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Isaiah 3, 16, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haunty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 32, At the mount of the daughter of Zion. Isaiah chapter 37 verse 22 she despises you she scorns you the virgin daughter of Zion she wags her head behind you the daughter of Jerusalem Isaiah 52 verse 2 uh, says O captive daughter of Zion Isaiah 62 verse 11 behold the Lord has promised to the ends proclaim sorry to the ends of the earth say to the daughter of Zion daughter is she representing Israel he says to her, peace. This is the only place in Mark where Jesus says peace to someone. And Isaiah is all about the peace that will come when Yahweh comes again in 54.10, in 57.19, in 60.17, in 52.17, in 55.12. She represents all of Israel, but all that she needed to do was to turn and trust Jesus. And he would heal her, just as Yahweh called for Israel to simply turn and trust him. And he would heal them. Then Isaiah 65 talks about Yahweh going to a people who didn't ask for him. Verse 4, those who sit among the graves and spend their night keeping secret vigil. Remember the man who was possessed by a demon in the Gentile region, the Decapolis, those who weren't seeking Yahweh. And, and verse 4 of 65 says, who eat the flesh of the pigs whose pots hold broth of impure meat. This sounds remarkably like this chapter. Who say, keep away. Don't come near me. Remember they begged him to leave that region? The book opens with pointing to the Lord, to Yahweh, and Jesus is fulfilling all that was required. He is showing himself to be Yahweh amongst us. And Chiris' name, may Yahweh enlighten. I mean, it's amazing. So let's head into chapter 6.